The Most Pleasant Exhaustion Podcast is brought to you by ITL Coaching and Performance. You can find them at itlcoaching.com. ITL Coaching and Performance exists to build a community of athletes set on reaching goals and serving the community. They have a passion for helping people achieve their goals and dreams. ITL coaches are real people with phones, emails, and a desire to spend time with you during your training. They are vested in ITL athletes. ITL takes a communal approach to your coaching, so there's always somebody available to answer your questions and to help you adjust your training schedule. An ITL coach will be glad to meet with you to chat about your goals and find the best plan to help you meet those goals. Again, the ITL Coaching and Performance website is itlcoaching.com. The Most Pleasant Exhaustion Podcast is also brought to you by Blue Pineapple Travel. You can find them at bluepineappletravel.com. Blue Pineapple Travel are experienced travel agents who help you design the perfect trip. They are all well-traveled and knowledgeable, and they will be your advocates from start to finish. The agents at Blue Pineapple Travel love to help people plan their travel. Their goal is to match you with the trip that you want. Whether you're looking for relaxation or adventure, traveling solo or with a group inside the United States or outside the United States, they are there to match you to the trip for you. Blue Pineapple Travel will help you curate all the travel information out there to create the exact vacation that you want. Again, their website is bluepineappletravel.com. And finally, the Most Pleasant Exhaustion Podcast is brought to you by SlayerX, www.slayerx.com. SlayerX is a sports nutrition company that makes products for athletes, team sports, and anyone that trains or works outdoors. SlayerX was founded by an endurance athlete and University of Georgia food scientist who was unhappy with the choices he was offered on course in long course triathlons. He started making his own mixes and now you can enjoy those same mixes. SlayerX offers differing levels of electrolytes in their hydration products and you can get them with or without calories. You can either take their online test at SlayerX.com or you can be tested in their laboratory to determine the exact amount of liquid and electrolytes that you need to be consuming while racing. In addition to hydration products, SlayerX offers fueling products like their product Diesel, which is available with or without the optimum level of caffeine that is scientifically proven to legal enhance performance while limiting GI upset and diuretic impact. If you're looking for alternative gel, try SlayerX's new Spark Plug, a Pop Rocks-like powder that combines the same electrolytes that are in their other products, encapsulated caffeine, and quickly absorbed carbohydrates. It comes in a plastic tube so it can be carried while running and it will work to enhance and fuel your alertness, general happiness, and performance. Remember, tell them that the Most Pleasant Exhaustion Podcast sent you by using the coupon code PLEASANT2019 at checkout on the website and you'll get 10% off anything that you purchase there. That's SlayerX.com, PLEASANT2019. Test, don't guess with SlayerX. Thanks to all of our sponsors for helping us to bring you the Most Pleasant Exhaustion Podcast. Hello, everybody. Quick cold open before I zoom in with Patrick and Michelle. I want to solicit some volunteers to come on the podcast with me in about a month. Um, don't know the exact date yet. That really depends on who the volunteers are and what their schedules are. Um, but what I'm looking for is like two or three people who are willing to come on and talk to me about indoor cycling, virtual riding. Um, as anybody who listens to the podcast knows, I do a lot of riding on my bike inside. I cross train a lot with my bike inside on my Wahoo kicker. Um, and I use mostly trainer road and Sufferfest. However, right now, because there are so many offers for different cycling platforms, you know, 30-day free trials, 90-day free trials, all that sort of thing, 
I see this as an opportunity to try out a few more. Um, and given that most of us are staying home and staying inside, and, and given the fact that I'm recovering from a marathon and so I'm doing a little bit more cycling, it's a perfect opportunity for me to test out a few more. And so I want to have a discussion with some people who are also willing to try out some different apps, some different platforms here over the course of the next short while, and then come on the podcast with me and compare them. Not only compare them to one another, but also compare them to outdoor riding um, and just sort of share your general reflections on on what it was like to use this particular platform, whether you would recommend it for other people and all that sort of thing. Now, I can already tell you one of them is going to be Trainer Road, one of them is going to be Sufferfest, one of them is going to be Ruby um, because I've used Ruby over the course of the past week, which I'll tell you more about once I get Patrick and Michelle on Zoom here. Um, one of them will probably be Zwift, one of them will probably be Peloton and I can be talked into one or two additional ones. That's already five that I've named, but um, one or two additional ones. If you have some experience with one or two of those, or three or four or five of those, um, or if you're looking to gain a lot of experience with them over the course of the next month, you're exactly who I'm looking for to come on the podcast here. So... If this interests you, if this sounds like something you would like to do, uh, by all means, drop me a line, george at itlcoaching.com, or send one to all of us, pleasantpodcast at gmail.com, and we will see about getting that set up. Thanks for considering us, and let's get on with Patrick and Michelle. Welcome back to the Most Pleasant Exhaustion Podcast brought to you by ITO Coaching Performance, Blue Pineapple Travel, and Slayer X. My name is George Darden. I'm an endurance athlete and coach here in Atlanta, Georgia. And I'm Patrick Ollinger, also an endurance athlete and coach here in Atlanta. And I'm Michelle Frank, also an endurance athlete here in Atlanta, Georgia. We are together again on Zoom, and I am really, really psyched to see both of you. I was on a high for the entire rest of the week last week after hanging out with the two of you on Tuesday night and releasing the podcast on Wednesday. I have been looking forward to this all day. How y'all doing? Are you recording? So, am I recording? Yes, I am recording. There might have been a false start just a moment ago because I was so excited to see everybody that I actually said the intro and didn't record, and that's what Michelle might be referring to right now, but we're good to go now. So, uh, Michelle, how you been? How's your week? Yeah, I think I'm doing pretty good. Um, I think that I'm doing, I would say, as good as I can be doing. I have three kids <laughs> home, uh, keeping up with their schoolwork. I'm also still working full-time. Mm-hmm. The kids are pretty self-sufficient, but turns out the five-year-old really needs help learning how to read and mm-hmm. do basic mathematics. Um, so, yeah, yeah I think making the best of it. Yeah, yeah. I said I said to Patrick before we started recording that, that I'm I'm kind of doing the best I can be under the circumstances. Uh, yeah, I'm 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 doing I'm doing okay, and okay is is good actually. Um, so yeah, like you, I have a couple of now six year olds since my son's birthday was last week. A couple of kindergartners who I'm trying to help continue to learn how to read and do phonics and basic math and all that sort of thing. And I was telling Patrick, I'm I'm I know enough about education, having been an educator for 23 years, to recognize when a child is either bored because something is not hard enough or overmatched because something is, is, or disengaging because something is too hard. Um, in, in education, that's called the zone of proximal development. I'm, I'm smart enough to recognize when my sons are outside the zone of proximal development. However, I don't know what to do with a six-year-old when they're not in the zone. <laughs> do you know what I mean? Like, I don't, like if I see them do a, a simple piece of phonics and I'm like, that's too easy. I can give them something more difficult than that. I don't know what the next step up is, you know? And yeah, vice versa. 
a little bit of trouble with the mathematics because I'm such a numbers person, but I know mm. that Common Core is not something I'm familiar with the way that it's taught in the school system these mm. days. So mm. I find myself texting my daughter's teacher and asking her, is right. there another method I can use? You know, what else, how else can I explain it to her? I don't want to explain it the way I want to explain it because I don't want to mess up the way that you're teaching it or that she's going to be taught in the future. So, right. yeah. Plus your understanding of numbers, particularly you, since you work with numbers, your understanding of numbers is so complex that trying to, to put yourself in your daughter's shoes who doesn't have that remote awareness, that innate understanding of numbers, that's extremely difficult to do. You know? Yeah, I'm struggling with anyone who doesn't understand that 10 minus 8 equals 2, but <laughs> I promise I don't get frustrated when I'm with her. I just want to figure out the best way to help her understand yeah. all of it. So yeah. we use Cheerios today. Yeah, you use what, Cheerios? Yeah, I just took out 10 Cheerios. Mm -hmm. Here's 10. Everything that you have, you know, is some form of 1 to 10. Count the 7. Take away 2. Count what's mm -hmm. left. And I think that was helpful for her. Um, but gosh, it's frustrating. Those are called manipulatives. Yeah, I knew that word, actually. I just <laughs> Very good. And then in your work, so, so you work in the tax world. We've talked about that before. Are you deemed an essential worker? We are essential. Mm -hmm. um, I would say the majority of my clients are business owners. So at this point, I'm inundated with um, everybody wants to know what they should do in order to get the help that the CARES Act is going to provide. Um, I can't even keep up with emails. I think at one point in time, I got 30 emails in 14 minutes a day. Wow. So, um, yeah, it's, you know, if regular tax season wasn't hard enough, this has made it all the more difficult because as high level as we understand the legislation, it's 800 something pages and the payroll companies aren't ready. Um, you know, nobody's ready for the legislation. So mm -hmm. just working through it with business owners and telling them that they need to go to their banker and we can't really do anything yet has been pretty challenging. So right on, right on. You staying at home? I am home. Um, I went into the office one day this week just to pick up stuff that came in by mail and my dad is 71 and he's in East Cobb and I drove him anything that was at his desk. I obviously don't want him leaving the house. Mm -hmm. uh, it was kind of sad. I think he wanted me to stay, but I sort of just gave him I'm stuff sure. far away and, and left. So okay. yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, for sure. For sure. My, it's good that your dad is staying home. So my dad is 76. He'll be 77 this year. And uh, he and my mom, but my dad in particular, they're just not wired for quarantine. They're not wired for sheltering in place. Um, and so they can't really wrap their mind around, you know, stay at home. Um, and so they're, you know, he called me up on Sunday. He's like, I played my tennis game today. I'm like, okay. So um, ironically, my dad is still playing tennis also. Okay. He's a lifetime tennis player. Mm -hmm. He just keeps on telling me that he's only playing with the same three people. One is a childhood friend's father. The other two are physicians. They're only playing with each other. They play doubles. They're far apart. They're not touching the tennis balls and passing them to each other. But yeah, so I guess for the most part, he's staying home. But mm -hmm. I don't know. I just wish he would stay home completely. Me too. Me too. Um, Patrick, we haven't talked to you enough. How's your job? How's your life, man? You don't have kids, so that's not something you have to deal with, but you are a newlywed. You're spending, yeah. a, lot, you're spending a lot of time with your new wife. I hope it's working out okay. <laughs> yeah, I got to tell you, um, I mean, you have to like, rub it into your thing, but mine's, you know, my lifestyle change has been a lot simpler. All, all I've had to do is work from home and cut out an hour or two of traffic each day. So, mm -hmm. you know, when I hear about others who, who have kids or are kind of in the thick of things, it's, 
um, my heart goes out to you because <laughs> that's a lot to do with at once, especially since it, this all came on so quick. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, all, like, you know, we we, you know, we got word, hey, Tokyo Marathon's canceled, and then within a week or two, we were, you know, quarantined. Right. Um, there wasn't too much warning, it didn't seem like. Yeah. No, I mean, things came on so quickly. I mean, I, you know, the term that I've used so often is talking about disrupted. People's lives are so disrupted mm-hmm. so quickly. But it, it's interesting now because now where where we live in Georgia, we're into the third week. And so there's there's kind of some some new normal starting or at least there's some routines developing and that sort of thing. Um, and, and particularly given that the, the governor here in Georgia has already announced that schools are going to continue to be out for the remainder of April. And so it's going to continue in this vein for at least another month. And so we're kind of staring down, all right, this is the new normal for at least the short term. And so, so it's kind of been interesting to sort of figure out, all right, what does this mean for everything, you know, for my life, for, for my job, for, for my kids, for my family, for, for, um, and of course for my training as well. And so all those sorts of things. I mean, um, Michelle, you doing any training this week? I'm doing a little training. <laughs> <laughs> so are you following your schedule this week? Last week you told us that, that, that you, you, were, you were training plenty, you were running plenty, but you weren't really following your schedule. You following your schedule this week? I followed it yesterday. All right. Did, did, yesterday, did. yesterday Was yesterday a, an Orange Theory Fitness Day? No, today was an Orange Theory Fitness at Home Day. Ah. With the optional running after. All right. I tried the Orange Theory Fitness at Home app. It was mm-hmm. five-minute dynamic warm-up, a 10-minute mm-hmm. floor set, which was literally just one minute of power push-ups, one minute of mountain climbers rotating four times, and then a two-minute plank, and then it was a five-minute stretch cool-down. And I was very frustrated the whole time because that's just – I'm staring at kettlebells and weights and stuff that I have mm. set up at home, and I just wanted to sweat or feel like I was doing something. Okay. So I followed that part, and then I – maybe ran 60 minutes with pickups after. <laughs> so, so you just, just went ahead and, and, and made up for what was a too easy strength workout by doing a little bit harder run. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. Maybe that's tomorrow's run. I don't know. But <laughs> I, I mean, it's very hard to follow a schedule, George. It's just like, oh, whatever I know. feels good, seems right. I'm not stupid. So I don't know. <laughs> uh, I, I am aware of all of those things and I agree with every single one of them for sure. What about you, Patrick? Yeah, it's interesting you mentioned that. Um, I'm actually taking a similar approach because, I mean, who knows when we're going to be able to kind of get back into racing. Yeah. And so I'm also in a bit of a different um, category as well because I was able to, to get a marathon in right before this quarantine. So in a way, I was going to just hop into base phase anyways in the month of March right. and just keep it easy running in, in March and April, you know, for a few reasons, just like we've talked about before. One, it's always good to have a mental break or an emotional break after mm-hmm. you've, you've trained so hard and so long for mm-hmm. um, an A race. And then B, sometimes it's nice just to say, you know what, I'm not going to need to do any long tempo runs right now or any long, you know, strenuous 400-meter repeat workouts, for example. Mm-hmm. And I can just focus on easy running. Mm-hmm. Put on a podcast, make it nice and easy, mm-hmm. um, and, and just kind of mellow out and, and take a bit more of a, a long-term view of, of running. So that's really what, I, what I've done is just kind of made every day um, easy days and then just kind of taking the approach that, that steady is and steady does, so to speak. Right on, right on. I mean, and, and I think that, that that definitely makes for a less stressful situation, you know, and I, I'm in a similar situation training-wise in the sense that, that, you know, I had a marathon a week after yours, and so mm-hmm. I, I'm, I'm halfway recovering, but also 
don't really know what's next and don't really know exactly what I'm building for just yet since things are kind of uncertain. So I, uh, you know, I, I mentioned last week on the podcast about the, the Ruby ride for Italy, Ruby being the indoor cycling platform. Um, and, uh, I said that I totally described it incorrectly on the podcast last week. So, so I put a, uh, Typical. yeah, oh, thanks Patrick. Um, so I, 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 I put a retcon on the, uh, on the Facebook page and, and said, okay, if you heard this contrary to what we said, um, it's actually four very specific Italian rides you have to ride. Um, and if you ride all four, they donate one Euro for everybody who completes all four. And it was about 70 miles. Uh, yeah, about 70, 71 or 72 miles of virtual riding total. Um, and, uh, and, and you had to finish it by March 31st. Um, and so, you know, kind of looking at the calendar, I was like, one, two, three, there are four days left in March. I have four days to finish this challenge. And so I jumped on and rode my bike inside four days of the last seven since we last talked. So, um, but, uh, it was, you know, got, got to experience a new cycling platform and, and, you know, got to be part of a, a group of people that were, were raising money, I suppose, for, for a good cause for COVID-19 relief in, in Northern Italy, which, you know, is good. Um, and so I was, I was happy about that. So, so got that done over course last a while. Today is the last day of the yoga challenge, which I know Michelle is sorry that she missed. Um, go. The 15 day yoga challenge. I got one day left. I mean, I tend to do mine kind of late at night like near the time that I'm going to sleep. And so I tend to be like the last person to, to post up, got it done, but I've done it 14 days and tonight, today's the last day. Today is day 15. And so I get that knocked out. Um, so I would say like the rate of improvement or the rate of me feeling better, like it was super steep in the first five or six days and it's leveled out a little bit. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, yeah. And so, so, which is, I mean, I mean that's kind of the way that the training of all sorts works anyway. Um, and so I was glad about that, but starting a new challenge, just a seven day challenge with some people tomorrow, seven minutes of strength work for seven days. If anybody wants to get in on that, drop me a line and I can add you to the Facebook group on that. I used the, uh, the down dog app, which is, uh, a yoga app that's really customizable and they were offering it free through April 1st. And then, now that the quarantines and sheltering in place orders have been extended to, to throughout the course of April, they've extended their free trials until May 1st. Um, and so if you're looking for a very customizable app that helps you do uh, yoga, the down dog app is what I use for most of this yoga challenge. And it was pretty good. Um, there was a few times, like I was joking about with y'all last week that I put it on the beginner setting and what they were asking me to do is definitely not beginner. <laughs> it almost gets back to your like kindergarten point where you don't know how to <laughs> right. I mean, th- spend a lesson for a kindergartner. <laughs> no, exactly, exactly. I was, I was, I, I was. And, and you and were I got, on the other end. I, I definitely got more confident about it. Like as the challenge went on, I was like, yeah, I can't do that. I'm going to do this other thing entirely. But like on the first few days, they would say, do this. I'd be like, okay, and I'd try and like remotely approximate it, and was just not even close to what they wanted me to do. Um, and so, yeah, there were a few times and other people complain about it as well. The few times when the beginner were not quite beginner enough, they're like, bend down and touch your toes. Can't do it. Like, like just can't do that very first thing. Um, and so, so stuff like that. Um, but anyway, have y'all noticed, okay, so I'm going to sit back to the whole, like just being quarantined thing again. Have y'all noticed any, like, has your mindset changed or have you, have you had any like deep thoughts about the nature of your life as a result of being quarantined? Oh Yeah. In very random ways. That that's a very kind of uh, open-ended question. Oh yeah. But uh, it, it's amazing how this new situation does make you rethink a lot of the decisions that you make on a regular basis, mm-hmm. and rethink a lot of the routines that you had. Yeah. Right. So, for example, with it's running, like traveling abroad. You know what I mean? 
Mm-hmm. I mean, like, like when you travel abroad, you, you, you go and you see a completely different way of doing things and you come back and you see your regular life with fresh eyes. It kind of feels like that, that, that my life is sort of the same, but it's also different that, that it's making me see a lot of the stuff that I do with really fresh eyes. But anyway, keep going. I interrupt you. No, that's exactly right. Um, and part of it, it, it some, you know, it kind of falls into two basic categories. So the first category is like things you always knew, but now you don't have the same constraints. So like, for example, um, a lot of us can't run at 8 a.m. because we have to sit in traffic and be at our work desk by 9 a.m. Mm-hmm. But now if you want to do an hour run and you have a nine o'clock meeting, you can take off at 7.50, right? <laughs> like, it'd be right back at your desk. Um, and it's kind of close. I'm not sure I'd recommend that. Um, and, and it's kind of same on the, the inverse side where you can take off for a run at 5.15 as opposed to you potentially have to sit in traffic to get home. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's just kind of one example. And then there's just other items where, you know, you're in such a different setting that you, you, it makes you rethink, just like you mentioned with travel abroad, like, why do I always do it this way? Mm-hmm. And so it's kind of an interesting experience. Mm-hmm. Um, and the biggest one for me has just been the time of day with running and how mm-hmm. I kind of structure the different priorities throughout the day. Mm-hmm. I'm doing all my stuff in the middle of the day right now. Mm-hmm. So because, because, because we get up and then we're looking after, it's, it's not about getting the fellows on, on, it's not about me leaving for one thing, you know, because mm-hmm. a lot of times I get up really, really early and try and combine like missing traffic. I'm not getting in the car. I'm not going around not commuting right now. Um, and so it's about getting up, getting the fellows kind of ready and going because we have to kind of get them going. It's not just about getting them on the bus. You know what I'm right. saying? Um, and so, so we kind of have to, to, to get up and get them going. And then it's like actually working with them until like 11. Um, and, and then, and then at about 11 from like 11 to one is when my wife has worked out that, that she then kind of looks after them from 11 to one. And that's when I end up kind of doing a workout or when I schedule like, you know, phone calls with coworkers or something else like that, you know? Um, right. And then, and then I come back from two to four and then after four, four is when we kind of shift again. So like, yeah, for me, for me, running has come to the middle of the day thing. But it's funny because I, I also have found that, like, my life is so much less flexible than it used to be. It used to be that my, my daily schedule would basically change from day to day. And I found that, like, in the evening, I would always kind of think about the next day and kind of lay it out in my head. Okay, I got to get up at this time. This way, I would kind of lay it out in my head. And I would get up in the morning and I'd have the daily schedule kind of laid out in my head. My daily schedule is the same every day now. Mm-hmm. And, Interesting. And that's weird. Because like nighttime comes and I turn off the TV or I put my book down and I, and I kind of um, reflexively say, oh, well, so what, what's my, oh, well, no, I know my, my schedule tomorrow is the same as it was today. It's the same as it was yesterday. It's the same as it's going to be two days from now. And so like that, that routine, I hadn't realized how flexible, um, how much I had become accustomed to my flexible schedule until I lost all that flexibility. You know, what about you, Michelle? I would say I have three major things. Um, the time constraints that I feel like I've had my entire life, even if I was 14 and or 16 and trying to fit in a run early in the morning before a rowing practice or just around classes in college and the way that everything is so perfectly set out so that I can get in probably more in a day than most people do. It doesn't matter now. Um, so whereas almost every morning that I go out for a run, it's maybe it's a 60 minute run, but maybe I have to cut it short at 52 minutes. Mm -hmm. Now it's, I can do whatever I want. There's no, I don't have to be back at a certain time. I'm trying, it's working out better for my family for me to keep as much of a normal schedule as possible. But I definitely went from setting my alarm 30 minutes later to an hour later to maybe 90 minutes later. (laughs) And I feel 
any of the, well, I'm still out of bed at 5.15, 5.30, but I don't feel the pressure towards the end of the runs It's mm-hmm. or towards the end of whatever I'm going to do. Um, right. I might go around and walk around outside after I get off the treadmill. I don't have to shower right away and pack lunches. Um, the other big thing, I Cause, guess. Because you don't, you don't have to get your kids to school at a particular time, right? Yeah, because I mean, if, I have, if, if, you start, if you start reading instruction two minutes later with your daughter, it's not going to matter as much as it yeah, would. Yeah, I mean, I have a daily, a daily leadership team huddle, so to speak, a little bit after nine o'clock every day. And I, I am making sure I'm sort of showered and ready to go by then. But like Patrick said, if I literally walked in from a run at 8.58, it wouldn't make any difference. I just mm-hmm. grab AirPods and keep going. Mm-hmm. Um, the other big difference for us, I think, is the, where we spend our money. Hmm. Um, so I think when you're quarantined at home, that just, that changes your spending habits so much. Mm -hmm. Um, and the other thing is I totally think maybe more so than ever before work from home is the way of the future. Hmm. Um, because maybe much to the chagrin of our CEO is realizing like, we're fine at home. Um, I'm the most, (laughs) (laughs) I'm the, I'm the most inhibited because the kids are home, but Mm -hmm. why do we need a 12,000 square foot office when, productivity doesn't seem to be impacted by nobody being in the office. So um, I think, I think that's going to change things for a lot of people. It could change overhead for a lot of businesses. So I think it'll be interesting to see. Um, But I love not having the time constraint. It's just, it's, I've never, I've never been able to operate like this my whole life um, and not date or miss something or have to choose one thing or the other. So like I said, making the best of it. I don't know. Yeah. I I think the biggest thing we, and we all three hit on in our own way is that, we're used to the alarm going off and you're immediately on the clock. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. I mean, as you mentioned, even back in high school, you knew like, all right, I have eight minutes to eat breakfast or, right. or whatever yeah. it is. Right. And you're like, yeah. I know exactly how long I have to complete mm-hmm. this task or to shower before mm-hmm. I have to hit my next milestone to get on the mm-hmm. bus or to be, to be yeah. on time. Yeah. I, I agree with that. And even though I'm saying my schedule is less flexible, um, I guess what I mean by that is it chain. It, it's more. It's more routine from day to day, or at least it's more ordered from mm-hmm. day to day. It's the same day after day, right? But but yeah, I mean, I definitely don't feel a whole lot of like I'm not. We're not setting an alarm right now. Our sons walk in sometime between six fifty five and seven ten, and that's how we wake up in the morning. You know, I mean, that's just sort of what yeah. they do. You know, and so we're not we're not setting alarms right now, and that's kind of how we roll. Um, if so I just want to point out, so it sounds like both of you are sleeping more now. Yeah, I'm definitely sleeping more now. I, I would, I probably would be anyway since I since I'm post uh, post marathon. But you know what's funny? You know, like Tiger King and stuff. We end up staying up until till midnight. So you know, so what? Uh, Ooh, are we going to talk about Tiger King? So we can talk about Tiger King if you want to. We've moved on to Ozark now. So you know, we watched episode one of that last night, but uh, season three. But but yeah. So we'll, we'll, I, my my favorite Tiger King meme, I think, right now is the one. Well, there's two. One is the one where where somebody's talking to the president and says. Mr. President, the country's going crazy. What should we do? And he says, release a Tiger documentary. I thought that was hilarious. Um, and then the other one was, was one that I saw today that said something to the effect of, of um, uh, I'm going to look it up actually. So I sent it to my wife because we tried all of them. Uh, somebody tweeted, watching people be shocked by Tiger King reminds me that not everyone grew up in Florida. <laughs> oh, gosh. <laughs> um, so, so, yeah. Did, did you finish it, Michelle, dare I ask? Yes, I yeah, finished. You did. Yeah. So I Patrick, watched it two Patrick, episodes Wednesday, two Thursday, two Saturday, and one yesterday. So. Nice. There you go. Patrick might Patrick's not on social media that much. He might not know even what we're talking about. I, I, I was brought into the loop yesterday. Uh, uh, a group text where <laughs> I, I literally had twenty two text messages and 
I respond as number 23 that was like, all right, I feel like I need to hop on this. Very nice. Very nice. Very good. Very good. Okay. So, so Michelle, I have to ask too, you said you're, you're, you're spending money in different ways. How are you spending money differently? Um, I just think there's a lot less spending and the spending Mm -hmm. that there is, well, for me specifically, my kids want spring clothes and spring shoes and they want to switch part of their uniform. And I don't have to worry about that because Hmm. they're not going anywhere. They're not going (laughs) to school. Uh, They're not going to the beach. They're not, you know what I mean? There's no, even we celebrate the Passover holiday, which is next week. And there is a, I'm not even allowed to have my parents come over for, I mean, there is a complete, nobody can have any guests that don't live in your home. Mm-hmm. There is even nobody can fly in from New York, New Jersey, Detroit, Chicago. So, oh. I mean, we could literally do this whole holiday in sweatpants. And mm-hmm. whereas typically it's a time. And of you year. will. <laughs> hey, now I might put on like joggers or running tights. Or something. Um, you know. uh, so that that's pretty different for me. And I also think it's, mm-hmm. We're spending money on a lot of do-it-yourself stuff. Not a lot of money, but just, I think I placed an $80 Amazon order Mm -hmm. and it's arts and crafts stuff that I never in my entire life would buy. My girls wanted a tie-dye kit. They wanted bead Mm -hmm. things. I have to iron these things and um, Mm -hmm. just stuff, small things to keep them busy. And of course, my Facebook post last night about why am I the last person to catch on to the puzzles? Um, Mm -hmm. That got (laughs) a ton of comments. So yeah. I would be spending money on puzzles. I can't find them online because mm-hmm. I'm way late to the party. So thank you for everybody that offered me your puzzles. We really appreciate it. Yeah. <laughs> if, you, if, you, if you have puzzles, send them Michelle's way because she's looking yeah. for puzzles to do. And, and evidently, everyone is sold out of puzzles right now. So, yeah. There's, um, no, there's no Starbucks or Dunkin' Donuts or, you know, a salad from Whole Foods. It's all... No gasoline. Yeah. yeah. I was going to point out the food friends. spending so, is a lot less. Yeah. So our, our, our eating out spending is less. Our grocery spending is more because Casey's baking more and cooking more, um, which I appreciate. I mean, I, I like that my wife is doing more cooking and that sort of thing. It's, it's cathartic for her and it's, it's, and it's nice for us, you know, that, yeah. that we're in our house and we're, and we're eating nice food because she's cooking more. Um, and so, so, that, so that's kind of cool. So, so our grocery bill has gone up. Um, but our eating out bill has gone way down. And then, of course, we're spending zero money on like neither one of us have, have put gas in our cars since. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, since yeah, since I have filled up in early March. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, I drive a Prius. It's not like we're saving a whole lot of gas anyway. But, but, but you know, I mean, my 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 commute is fifty miles there and fifty miles back almost. And so, you know, you're talking about a long way. Um, yeah. That I'm doing on a fairly regular basis. Um, okay. One more thing we're going to talk about with life here. Cause I'm interested to hear. So Michelle, you posted on, on Facebook, is anybody doing any extra stuff in order to try extra safe? You said that you're taking off your rings, right? Yeah. I must've read that either CDC recommendation, just that the way that the fatty layer of the virus is transmitted and that you could break it with soap and water and everything. But if you miss where your rings are, um, mm-hmm. then essentially you're not, thoroughly washing or sanitizing your hands. Okay. So, I mean, I came home and took my rings off. I only wore two rings, but um, that was sort of terrifying to me. Mm-hmm. And then, and then it just made me super self-conscious of other things that maybe mm-hmm. um, I should be doing that I'm not doing. So I was curious more like, what is the one or two things that you're doing that you've never thought about doing before? Um, but that you're doing consciously now. So I liked your comment about wiping down your phone. Yeah. Uh, I've definitely done that at least twice a day since mm-hmm. the first days. 
Um, so I, I, I say that I've been doing it twice a day. I haven't done it yet today. Here we are in the evening now we're recording. I haven't done it because I'm not in the habit of doing it. It's not something I normally ever done. Um, but I read something about it. And I'm like, that makes perfect sense that, you know, you wash your hand, you, know, you don't wash your hands, you put all this stuff on your phone and then you put your phone down, you wash your hands, you pick your phone back yeah. up again. Of course it's going to be carrying germs. Right. And so I've, I've tried to get in the habit of disaffecting it once or twice a day. And, and I haven't been great about it. Um, I mean, I feel like leading up to a marathon, I wash my hands like so much that my hands chap anyway. Um, mm -hmm. and so like washing my hands a bunch, I was already in the habit of that. Um, and so that, that, that to me is not really all that much of a shift. Um, but those other things are a little bit more. Patrick, you've been doing anything in addition to, of course, social distancing, staying home and, and, and washing your hands a lot? Nothing uh, in addition to what you guys mentioned. The phone was the, the revelation to me. Mm -hmm. um, and, and the biggest like light bulb moment. I mean, it, it's amazing. Uh, Adam Schefter once um, called his iPhone his third hand. <laughs> um, and this was like 10 years ago. He's just, he's a reporter. And he was essentially saying, I can't live without it. I couldn't imagine going 10 minutes without it. Um, mm -hmm. He's like, I almost felt anxious without it. But that metaphor almost kind of builds into that, Casey, to, to wash your phone almost as much mm -hmm. and when you wash your hands as well. So mm -hmm. something I certainly never thought about, but I, yeah. I've incorporated into my new habits. Yeah, right on, right on. We uh, Speaking of new habits, so I was talking to a few people yesterday and I've been thinking about a lot about it over the course of the last little while. And I was thinking actually about our podcast and about, about how, how bolstered I was just by seeing the two of y'all's faces. Um, and, and I, uh, uh, have, I'm going to set up on Sunday morning, which is where we normally have the trail run at Kennesaw mountain. I'm going to set up a virtual meetup for that at seven 30, which is when we normally meet. And then everybody's going to hang out for 15 minutes and then everybody can kind of go off of the runs of their own. Michelle will be there with bells on. Michelle will probably be there early. She'll join the meeting early and then at seven 30, she'll leave since that's what she normally does. <laughs> <laughs> when we actually have the meetup, um, but but <clears throat> show up just enough time for us to know you're but, there. But I was but I was thinking about it. I was thinking about how the best part of that run for me often is is just kind of getting to hang out with a lot of people beforehand. So so I'm going to do that on Sunday. You you both will be getting an invitation for me for that, and uh, several of our listeners will be getting an invitation as well. So uh, so hopefully get to see y'all on Sunday morning before for 15 minutes. So before we all go out for our our own separate runs in our own separate directions. Uh, so look forward to that. But Speaking of running and training and all that sort of thing, let's talk about the sort of running and training we're going to be doing right now and sort of the running and training that I think most people are doing right now since most people have now had their races taken off the calendar, um, except I almost forgot to mention um, all the people that are doing all like it's become a thing. We were, we were talking last week about the guy in France who ran a marathon on his balcony. I went back and looked it up. His balcony was seven meters, by the way. So seven, seven meters back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. I, I saw on Strava, a guy posted that, that he did, um, he did laps around his swimming pool in his backyard for 17 miles. I saw there was a guy in Canada who did laps around his backyard for a full marathon. A friend of the podcast, Michael Wardian, who lives in my sister's neighborhood, of course, um, he, he ran around his block, which is between a quarter mile and 0.3 miles. He ran like 75 laps around it. Um, in order to get the marathon distance. He said it was like his kids PE class since they're being homeschooled right now and everything. And of course, given the fact that he's a professional runner, he did the whole thing at 551 pace um, and ran like, you know, 235 for, <laughs> for, for, for the marathon around the, the 0.3 mile loop there. Um, Patrick, you are the most pleasant exhaustion designee to, to do this sort of thing for, for our podcast listeners. What do you think? Will you take on the challenge? Not a chance. 
<laughs> for a mile, yes. For a marathon, no way. <laughs> so, but but would you be willing to do it for like like around your backyard? Because you got a backyard. I've seen it around your backyard for like a few miles. Put it on Strava. Inspire us all. Well, I would say I have a block that's about a quarter mile, just just like your neighbor. Okay. That can do it around. Okay. Okay. So mm-hmm. you'd be like the the Michael Wardian of Decatur, Georgia. That's cool. Yeah, exactly. All right, Would yeah. you get an FKT for that? So, what a great question. Is, is there a fastest known time for, the, for, for your block? For me? Yeah. Uh, I don't think that's that as a, as a segment. So. I think it's time. <laughs> I think it's time. I think it's time. That's what trail runners, by the way, a lot of trail runners, that, that's kind of how they're entertaining themselves over the, the, the course of this time when all the trail races and stuff are canceled. Mm-hmm. They are... They are um, they are going after FKTs. They're doing fastest known times and Strava segments and that sort of thing. Um, and so, you know, by all means, if you're looking for a challenge, take a cue from the trail running world. Um, mm-hmm. the what t- should we be doing? What'd you say? What should we be doing? So what a nice segue, Michelle. And you say you don't like talking about training on this podcast. So um, most people now, most people now are, are, are getting kind of back into the so-called base thing. So, so Patrick and I wanted to talk a little bit about periodization and base training here. And so we, we, Michelle is going to stick with us. And this is actually going to be, I want to say, Michelle, is this the first time you, you've been on one of our podcasts where we talked about training? I think it might be. Awesome. Nice. Um, so we've talked about, period- about how coronavirus we've talked about base your training right before. Here. So what'd you say? To talk about how coronavirus disrupts your life. <laughs> One example right here. That's right. That's right. We're living it. Um, so periodization and base training. We've talked about these things a little bit before on, on, on the podcast. We want to talk a little bit more about them right now. But periodization, the idea of periodization, you want to put it in a nutshell for us, Patrick? Yeah. So periodization really is just the process of dividing up training and a smaller periods of training where you emphasize a specific component. So what I mean by that is um, instead of just saying, okay, I want to run a marathon in 26 weeks. So I'll run one mile week one, two miles week two, et cetera, just kind of in a linear approach. You've actually divide up your training into specific sections and you want to kind of target that training for each section, um, you know, a little bit differently. So you build up different uh, physiological systems within your body that you will need um, in the marathon. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You're kind of really, we like to think of it as a pyramid, right? Where you start to build a base um, and then you kind of uh, build up to a final peak there come race day. Mm-hmm. And traditionally that's the way it's kind of worked. There's been this sort of base mm-hmm. period there and the base period had a whole bunch of like long zone two rides or runs, depending on what your sport was and all that sort of thing. And then you'd build and you'd get a little bit more intense, a little bit more race specific. And then when you got to that very peak, you'd be doing the most race specific stuff that you have to do. Right. Um, and, and the, the thinking behind base training was, was worthwhile. It's, you know, it's supposed to build endurance. It's supposed to increase your mitochondrial density. It's supposed to toughen all of your connective tissues that make you more durable runner over time. It burns fat. It builds your aerobic engine. Uh, it sets you up for a lot of workouts later. Um, and then you ultimately move on from all that easier stuff and you kind of gradually get faster, more tempo work. And then, of course, you cap it all off with speed work. That's kind of the traditional way of going about it. Um, Michelle, is that the way you've always is that the way you've more often than not gone about it? I would say generally speaking, yes, but I think there's either confusion or misunderstanding about, you know, do you really need an aerobic base and what do you need? What is a sufficient, I should say, aerobic base? Mm -hmm. Um, So I think as a recreational runner, not an elite, 
um, that my inclination is to overdo it the whole base phase. And I think mm -hmm. that a lot of people fall into that. So, mm -hmm. um, but I would say generally speaking, getting more specific to race day as the race approaches is pretty much the only way that I've ever trained for a race, even mm -hmm. though the training plans have been, you know, different in the course of the training. Mm -hmm. If that makes mm -hmm. sense. So no, it makes perfect sense. Totally. Philosophies. Yeah. Because, because you're training for different races what the, the race specific stuff you're going to do as you get close to races is, is going to change. Right. Um, and so that makes sense. And so I think that, that a lot of people have started over the course of the past 10 to 15 years, but particularly over the course of the past five years have really started to poke holes in this kind of traditional way that we go about base build peak, you know, long and slow and then gradually faster than really fast towards the end. A lot of people have started to poke holes in that for a variety of reasons. Um, and, and I think we're kind of in a place now where, where most people, particularly people like us, like recreational folks who are going out, not pros, that sort of thing. We don't really spend a whole lot of time just doing miles upon miles upon miles upon miles at slow, steady distance or slow, steady pace uh, uh, months and months and months out from our target races anymore. That's just not really where the endurance world and where the training world is anymore. Um, and so, so yeah, I agree with you on that. Patrick, what are you going to say? Yeah, I was going to say, too, I think it's important to, to um, first, define what we mean by like long, slow miles or easy miles. And generally what we're referring to is, you know, roughly one minute or slower than your marathon goal pace mm -hmm. or your marathon race pace. I shouldn't say goal pace, but what your current race pace is. So if you're a 238 marathoner, it'd be roughly seven minute miles or slower. Mm -hmm. Right. So just to give you an idea uh, of, you know, what kind of, pace we're looking at mm -hmm. it's that kind of nice leisurely pace you can run and hold a conversation without straining mm -hmm. throughout the run yeah yeah so i would um, say that's the first thing mm -hmm. for sure for sure um now let's talk a little bit about about i mean the 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 benefits of of doing that the benefits of of running zone two for long distances and building a base and all that sort of thing the benefits that, that that I just listed, that it toughens your connective tissue, that builds mitochondria distally, all that sort of thing, those sort of benefits, those are not in dispute. Most people would agree that, yeah, that's kind of what, what it can and often does for you. But but just the, the process of actually trying to undergo base training is is sort of what what's become under under scrutiny over the course of the last several years. And so let's kind of um let's kind of talk about some of the flaws um, with base training. And so so with a mind to, okay, now that everybody, probably more than ever before, I would say, most of us are kind of in a base phase, <laughs> you know? Um, you know, usually when we're, when we're talking on the podcast, we could say, oh, well, everybody's in a base phase, but not everybody is. Well, now that the race is all being canceled, we're all kind of in a base phase now. Um, <laughs> you know, it's kind of like what I told you before, Michelle, that it was sort of exciting that everybody's going to be doing a fall marathon now, <laughs> you know? If um, we have the fall marathon. So if we do, if we do, let's, let's, let's hope that we do. Certainly have our fingers crossed that, 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 the five or six world marathon majors and twin cities and Marine Corps and all the rest in Houston or, or Houston tapping over the winter, but, but all the rest of it will be happening this fall. But anyway, um, but yeah, there's, there's, there's a few flaws there. Um, um, the first flaw that certainly can be pointed out with just sort of this approach is that, that sometimes those longer, slower things are actually what is more race specific. Um, and so if the whole idea is to become more race specific as you get closer and closer and closer to your race, and, and when you're far away from your race, you're supposed to do the things that are least race specific. Well, if you're doing a long race, 
and that, not necessarily a marathon, but even like an Ironman triathlon or something like that, it's actually more race specific to do that long, less intense stuff actually closer to your race. Um, and some people actually call this reverse periodization where you would do like the, 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 the fast short stuff six months out and you would do the longer, slower stuff. Um, when you're actually closer to your race, some people call that reverse periodization, but, but it's just periodization again. Um, and so really, I think the one, one of the first places where a lot of people started to spot flaws with this whole base process is they sort of started thinking about, well, if we're going to get more race specific as we get closer to the race, the race itself is like a zone two, zone three effort. And so maybe these long zone two, zone three efforts should actually be closer to the race. Um, um, what do y'all say about that? Yeah, I think that there's especially, um, there could be a little bit of confusion for folks who maybe didn't start off running in high school where you're, where your periodization means peaking for a 5k, right? Right. So then, and that's where kind of a lot of our background is, right? So for those of you who have read Once a Runner and kind of went through the, the classic, you know, 90s, early 2000s training of, of the average high schooler, it was running, you know, summer miles based training where they just said, every day is an easy day, long run on Sunday, you know, try to hit six, 700 miles this summer. And that was kind of the, the, the coaching style. And then you kind of eventually be, you know, turned easy days into tempo runs, tempo runs into mile repeats, mile repeats into 800s and 400s and 200s. Mm -hmm. And it was like a nice, almost mathematical, very linear progression. Mm -hmm. um, you know, almost a blunt progression, mm -hmm. you know, but when kind of looking at periodization for, for the marathon, it is a little bit different because to get more race specific, you're doing the opposite. You're not going from, you know, long steady miles to 200s. You're going from, you know, uh, you know, quick speed workouts to long tempo runs for, mm -hmm. for your quality days. Mm -hmm. So it is a little bit of a different mindset. And, and I think that's where it's a little bit of important to, to keep in mind that when we talk about periodization, it's, there's not one single model. What, what we're really just talking about is the process of targeting your training and dividing up your training into different sections and saying, mm -hmm. for these three months, I want to reach this goal, or I want to target my training to make improvements in these areas. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Michelle? Um, I would agree with that. I would say I struggle with, if I were coaching myself, uh, wondering kind of where the point of diminishing returns is once you get closer to the marathon or the ultra marathon distance. Um, I tend to want to go out and, you know, I'm always like, can we just do 16 miles of pace? And <laughs> you're like, no. <laughs> um, so I think there is that point of you could maybe push it too far, too close to how mm -hmm. close can you get to race specific mm -hmm. as you get to the race, Excellent but point. not overdo it so that you're still ready to go for race day. So um, I don't like the shorter, faster stuff. I don't think a lot of endurance athletes like it. Um, I see the way that it all builds in and folds into the bigger, you know, 12, 16 week picture. Um, but I tend to just deal with that part of it and complain about it. Um, and then struggle more with wanting to maybe get too race specific before race day. Mm -hmm. So, mm -hmm. yeah. Okay. So a lot of things in based on what both of y'all just said. Okay. So, on what Patrick just said, one interesting thing about what you just said, Patrick, is you, you talked about how, how um, our, our notions about what is supposed to happen in the specific phases of periodization is based on, the, on, on all of us having trained for 5Ks. I think that's interesting, and I think maybe one of the reasons why people have started punching holes in the traditional way that we've done periodization is because so many more people now are running marathons. You mm -hmm. know? Like, and running like, marathons earlier. 
Yeah, and it, and it's yeah. it's 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 not like it's not like you know, point oh one percent of the the running population are running marathons, and ninety nine percent are running five k's. There, there's like enough people doing long distance races that that there needs to be, and there is a lot of talk about how to actually approach periodization itself in a different fashion. And so I think that's an interesting point. Um, to Michelle's point, um, there, there, there's a lot of things in what Michelle said. So let me, let me tell you about Michelle as an athlete. So Michelle as an athlete, as, as somebody to coach, she will follow the schedule you give her, um, which is something that, that as a coach, I very much appreciate. Like Michelle, I can say, Michelle, go run up the side of a mountain and then dive off the side of it. And she'd be like, why do I have to do this? And she would totally do it. Um, and so, so, so Michelle is, I don't encourage that training. So so Michelle is an extremely coachable athlete in that regard. But that being said, if she doesn't want to do a workout, she will make that abundantly clear as well. She'll be like, I really don't want to do this. I really want to, and she'll go do it. She will go do it, but she really doesn't want to. And so, so it's funny for me to to hear Michelle talking about training and the way she does the training and, and, and definitely underselling the whole. I might not like those kinds of workouts, but I do them. Yeah, that's about right. But, but, but no, so, so, it, so in what Michelle just said, I think there's two interesting things. One, I think that, that a lot of people who end up doing longer races, be they like long course triathlons like Ironmans or marathons, I think those people are more wired towards and more comfortable with, with slow suffering as opposed mm-hmm. to, to just going really deep to the well for very short periods of time, you know? Um, uh, and I, I, I don't, I don't think that, that, that the type of, of really just lung busting intervals that you do repeats that you do in order to, to prepare yourself for a 5k is something that most marathoners or long course athletes really find enjoyable. And so if you give them the opportunity or left to their own devices, they'll find a way not to do them. And so I think what's interesting is that, that, that a lot of folks, um, would sort of approach periodization like in the, it, it, with a combination of the old way and the new way. And that would enable them never have to do the really, really, really hard stuff. <laughs> you see what I'm saying? And so I oh, think absolutely. a lot of people, a lot of people would do like easy zone two running for a while. And then they'd start doing tempo stuff. And then they, Oh, now it's time to get race specific. So I'm going to keep on doing tempo stuff. And they would never in there do the two hundreds and the one hundreds and the four hundreds and the eight hundreds and the thousands. Right. And in fact, you have to do those farther out if you're doing a 5k you would do those very close to the race but you have to do them for when you train for a marathon as well you just do them eight weeks out nine weeks out 12 weeks out as opposed to doing them right there um and so so that's one reason why wait for me as a coach um when i when i very much embraced sort of the reverse periodization approach and, and really started you know reflecting deeply on it i i noticed that marathoners were never doing 200 meter repeats um mm-hmm. now 5k runners were doing tempo runs because of the traditional way the periodization was done, there was tempo runs in there for 5K runners. But marathoners were never doing 200s. And I think the marathoners need to do 200s sometimes and 400s and that sort of thing. They just do them really, really far out from the race. The other thing about Michelle, what, what she said just a second ago, um, that I think is interesting too. Um, I can't remember. I blanked on it all of a sudden. Dang. I'm, I'm so t- I, I can build on your as, point. As, as soon as one of y'all start talking again, I'm going to think of it. So when y'all start talking again. Sure. I, so I can build on you. <laughs> <sighs> You go ahead, Michelle. No, I think he wants to talk about running at pace, running at marathon pace. I did. That's exactly right. Thank you, Michelle. Okay. Um, but, but no. times. I've been through this. I, and, and Michelle, you're going to appreciate this, by the way. You're going to appreciate this because this is going to give you something that you can criticize me for for the next year. Okay? By the way, Michelle, uh, we had a listener point out that I made a mistake that you did not correct last week. 
Ooh, what mistake was that? I referred to Shinzo Abe as the prime minister of Tokyo. Oh. <laughs> and needless to, say, well, Shinzo, needless to say, Shinzo Abe is not the prime minister of Tokyo. He's the prime minister of Japan. Um, Tokyo, has, you, Tokyo has a mayor. Uh, yeah, I'm Shinzo that. Abe. <laughs> um, right. But, if we don't correct the mistakes, people just come at us. So, and so I, know, right. I, I used to be that person, right? <laughs> who, <laughs> who corrected all your mistakes afterwards. But now this I'm is here. why I'm not on Facebook. Fair, fair. Y'all can no. say whatever you want to about me. Well, and, and, and let's be clear, the, the, the high school friend of mine that, that pointed out to me that I had said that Shinzo Abe was the, uh, was the, the, the prime minister of Tokyo, uh, he is a loyal listener and somebody who I very much appreciate. And so we're not, we're not criticizing the fact. I actually was really happy that he said it because it gives me the opportunity to mention it right now. But anyway, um, uh, I did what you just described prior to the marathon that I just did. I know. Um, and so, so, and, and there was, there was, I think legitimate reason for it. Um, and I don't regret it. Um, I don't regret it for one thing because I think it was a good, important learning experience for me, but, but in addition, because, um, for whatever reason, I felt like one of my big contributions to the Atlanta Olympic marathon trials that happened here on February 29th is that I was going to help Morgan Van Gorder and Lori Knowles train for it. And so I did some of their workouts and their workouts couple of their workouts were definitely much more difficult um, than workouts that I would have chosen for myself and that I would have done for myself or even that I would have chosen for some of my own athletes. Um, but I did them because, because I wanted to support them. And I entered the Los Angeles Marathon much more beaten up than I probably should have. Um, and, and I think that that, that affected my race. Um, mm -hmm. All the stuff I talked about on my race report podcast if you were to boil it all down to like one thing as to why did the race not quite go as well as I wanted it to, it was that I was too beaten up going into the race. Um, and so I do think that there's, there's um, a little bit of, of uh, art and science that goes into saying, okay, what is too much? You know, how much is too much? How far is too far um, when you're getting closer and closer to that spot? But I say? think a workout that specifically beat you up the most there could have been two small tweaks to that and it would have left you just as prepared, but not as overcooked. What, which, which one are you talking about? The six by three, the yeah. three by six mile with mm -hmm. the middle six miles at half marathon pace. Mm -hmm. I would have taken that to three by five miles all at marathon pace. And maybe, you know, if you have the volume, maybe do one by two and a half miles after it. Um, mm -hmm. It's just, I wouldn't go down to half marathon pace for that middle six mile segment. I mean, that just sounded, sounded brutal when I heard about it the day before it was going to happen. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. I really yeah, love it's, that it's, idea of yeah. that many miles at marathon pace. Mm -hmm. Like I really like that, George. Mm -hmm. It sounded, it sounded brutal to me too. And, and, and I did it and I, I was, I was very surprised with how it went. It was probably one of the best workouts I've done in a long time, but it doesn't yeah, matter how good your workouts are. Right. Um, and so, and it, and it was a good, you know, and you, you've talked to me before, Michelle, about how, how confidence building those workouts are. Um, yes. and, and yeah, I came out, you know, Patrick and I, the week before that had run the, the Jekyll Island half marathon. That was a race that was very difficult for me and hadn't gone all that well. I go out a week later and I run really well at, uh, in this, in this long workout and it gave me a lot of confidence. Um, but I think that ultimately it, it beat me up. It beat me up the way that particularly coming the week after a half marathon, it beat me up the way that, that a long race would have as opposed to a good training session would have. Um, now I should also mention, um, you and I, Michelle, both listened to an interview with Marty Hayer, right? Is that how you say his name? Okay. We were totally saying his name wrong. Um, and what, what podcast was that? The alley on the run podcast? 
Um, I think it was Lindsay Hine. I think it was Lindsay Hine. Yeah, it was. It was on Lindsay Hine's I'll podcast. Have another. So, so, so I'll have another. Yeah, thank you for that. Um, That's and the second time you've called her Ally. So I well, I get those two podcasts confused. Um, so which is completely chauvinistic, I recognize. But anyway, um, uh, so so we listened to, to 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 Marty on there, and he trains. Does he train in that same Reebok club that Justin Knight like founded? That's with yeah, yeah. He's part of that. Um, right. Part of that team. And he said, so he finished sixth despite having to take a bathroom break at mile 18 of the Olympic marathon trials. And his Syracuse teammate running his first marathon finished, what, ninth in the, in the men's yeah. Olympic trials? Eighth or yeah. ninth. Um, and, and he said that, that when they see all of these other training groups doing these long workouts that are longer, he said the longest one they ever do is 10 miles long. He said when they see them doing all these super long workouts, he said they kind of laugh at them, laugh to themselves and they say, yeah, we're going to be seeing them on race day. So. Yeah, I mean, he said that they might a really long run, let's say whatever the distance is, but the most that they would do at pace would be 10 miles within that mm -hmm. run. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, he said they take kind of a secret kind of, you know, smirk when they see other people post crazy hard workouts that they only like, train like, like three by six miles. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I, I totally agree with that. that mm -hmm. uh, it can be very easy to get swept up in a, in a you know, long, hard workout to, to kind of prove it to yourself, mm -hmm. right? Um, and I don't think that was necessarily the case with you, for example, but especially with new runners that are trying to like be a Boston qualifier or something like that, or you know, reach a new milestone, break three for the first time, whether, you know, whatever it is. I think it'd be very tempting to say, you know what, if I do this, you know, 16, 18 mile run at marathon pace, that shows that I've got it. That shows I can do it. But more often than not, that was your race. Right. <laughs> Right. And that's, it's like, well, congratulations for that Sunday long run, but that was kind of it now. Um, Cause then it's hard to recover from that. Mm -hmm. and, and that's, and, and that's like, and that's like the, the, the biggest, not the biggest, it's one of the biggest, most common mistakes I think that, that, that a lot of runners make is they leave their best race on the training grounds. And, that, and that's obviously mm -hmm. not something you want to do. Um, and so to Michelle's point, which is, and we've definitely kind of drawn out this point a lot. It is very difficult to determine, you know, to try and strike that balance. Um, I think that's one of the reasons why, why, one of the reasons why, why, why coaches have a lot of conversations with their athletes to try and say, okay, what would give you the confidence boost? Okay, let, let's kind of work out here how we can get the physiological and mental boost that you need without actually wiping you out the way that I did. Um, and so, so yeah. Anyway, all right. So back to base training. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, so anyway, so anyway, um, so, so that, that I think is one of the reasons. So that idea of reverse periodization is one of the flaws that people have kind of a lot of, a lot of people have pointed out with base training is that, that, that because more race specific work is what you're supposed to be doing close to your race. A lot of people have said, Oh, well, my race is, is, is longer and, and less intense. So that's what I'm gonna do super close to my race. And, and they might even finagle a way to, to never do the really, really fast stuff. Um, I think in addition, um, a lot of people just don't, during the so-called base periods, during the typical base periods, they don't really tend to, to actually take the amount of time that they would actually need to take in order to do a true base period. Um, and to be fair, that's because a lot of people don't have that time. Um, maybe because it's winter and it's not light as often, maybe just because they're, they have lives outside of running and cycling and, and swimming and all that sort of thing. Um, and so, so if you're going to be base training, you're going to be doing long things at zone two, you're looking at boosting your longest mileages by like 40 to 50% or your longest 
times by like 40 to 50%. Most of us don't have 40 to 50% extra time to actually do training if we're going to be doing all of zone two. And so because of that, people end up basically just, if they did 10 hours a week throughout the course of the year during their, their build phase and their peak phase, they do 10 hours a week during, during their base phase as well. They just do it all super easy. Um, and, and that's not a really good way to go about base training. If you're going to be doing base training, you should be doing 14 to 15 hours a week at a pretty easy pace, or at least building up to it. And most of us don't have that extra 14 to 15 hours to spare. Um, that extra four to five hours on top of the 10 hours to spare. Um, thoughts about that, y'all? So the answer to that seems to be, if you have 10 hours a week to run throughout the year, you still need to keep some quicker stuff in that quote unquote base training phase mm -hmm. yep. to kind of do that on both ends of the spectrum in a way. Mm -hmm. you, yeah. don't, you don't really need to go out there and just do 10, 10 hours a week of just easy running, right? Mm -hmm. It's not going to do anything for us. It's not going to increase our fitness. Um, but that's kind of the same thing we were talking about before is throw those 200s in there, right? right? That's the time to, you know, work that quicker, faster, shorter stuff in there. Um, so that maybe the same amount of time is going to be spent running as you get closer to race day. But instead of 10 by 200, you're going to go out and do, I don't know, four by mile or four by two miles, something like that. So. Exactly. Exactly. No, very much, very much. Patrick. I would say too, uh, think about how much time it's not just about how much time you're running but how much time you're dedicating to endurance training mm -hmm. so like for example to get in the car and drive to track and do 400 repeats you might only be on the track for 50 minutes but it's more like an hour 30 of time mm -hmm. commitment mm -hmm. so i've never really found that um that's it that's interesting you brought that up because i've never actually heard that critique of, of base training or that um hindrance because for me uh you know an, an hour and 20 minute base training run takes me an hour and 22 minutes mm -hmm. to put on my shoes, run, mm -hmm. come back. And, and that's it. Right. And it's also continues running. So mm -hmm. you don't have to, to, to stop or anything of that nature. So that was an interesting point you brought up. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, very few people outside of like pro athletes, obviously very few people actually have, Oh, well I have, you know, during the, the transition season or, or during the winter, when it happens to be, I now have 15 hours to train. Now, most people have pretty much the same amount of time to train mm -hmm. throughout the course of the entire year. Um, teachers might be a little bit different with their, with their summer schedules and that sort of thing. And I'm saying that as a teacher, um, um, and, and, uh, there might be other jobs that, that are a little bit more seasonal like that. Um, mm -hmm. but, but, um, yeah, there are very few people that, that during the time when they would be doing their base training have all this extra time to actually be going out there and putting in um, the same workload just at a lower intensity. Um, most people just don't, they don't have that. Um, the, the third thing, and this actually kind of picks up on what Michelle said a second ago, um, is that research over the last 15 years or so shows how intertwined all of these various things are. Um, mm -hmm. And I think there's some real misapplication of a lot of this stuff, but at the same time, um, all the stuff that I talked about that you can actually get from zone two, the long zone two training, you can get a lot of that stuff by doing uh, shorter amounts at varying intensities. You don't only get those things from zone two training. And so I think that's another reason why, why a lot of this stuff has happened or a lot of this stuff has changed over the course of the last little while. Um, if you only have a certain amount of time, you can't do all zone two training, but you want to build the mitochondrial density and, and make your connective tissue more durable and all that sort of thing. Well, you can do that in ways other than the zone two training as well. So, um, so let's talk about a couple of quick takeaways here as we're going to wrap it up because I know we've been talking for a while, but, um, I think the, the, the big takeaways, the big recommendations that the three of us would have, um, 
One, like Michelle just said, do a variety of work throughout the year, doing the least specific stuff far away from your target race uh, and the most specific stuff closest to the race. Um, I would say you still need to keep the bulk of your training in zone two, even throughout the course of the year, just because zone two type stuff, aerobic stuff is what you are primarily going to be drawing on on race day. However, um, if you're ever at a place where you're doing every single bit of your training, every single one of your training at zone two, you're probably not really getting the most out of your training. Um, and three, I would say that while it is important to mentally and physically recover from the hard work of the season, um, so if you do, say, the month after marathon, like Patrick and I have been doing here, uh, want to take some time where you're only doing zone two stuff, fantastic. Recover mentally, physically, financially, and everything else from the race that you've just done. Um, but, but when it comes time to start training again, when you start to, start to actually point towards your next race, you need to start working in things that are more than simply um, – floating, spinning, or jogging. Um, words on those, other recommendations, other things you have to say there, Patrick, Michelle? Yeah, so, you know, one of the things that I like to really highlight as well with, with base training, with that kind of zone two training, is, you know, from a physiological perspective, what you're trying to do is you're trying to build your aerobic base, right? You're, you're changing your body's construction from the inside out. And at the cellular level, you're, you're adding mitochondria to your cells, as you, as you mentioned. Um, you're adding blood vessels and capillaries so you can get more blood to your muscles. You're adding red blood cells so your blood can carry more oxygen. You're increasing the efficiency. Your body moves oxygen from your lungs into your blood. All that happens at the microscopic level. So it takes time. And that's one of the things I like about base training right now is we may not be racing for a while, but I know in terms of building up um, kind of a long-term plan and you know, investing in my fitness in a way that, you know, we'll see the, or reap the biggest benefits from a long-term perspective, it's base training, more so than speed training, because mm -hmm. that's kind of that, the long-term investment, where if you just do, you know, easy running for a month, you're probably not going to see too, too much improvement over that month, but you're kind of, you know, putting money in the bank, so to speak, or you're investing um, that time, you know, in the long game, knowing, hey, this is the kind of skill set that takes years to develop, and even experienced runners like you and I, to kind of reach our, our capacity from an aerobic um, endurance perspective, it could take seven to 14 years, depending on what research you look at. So um, I think that's a, just an important distinction to talk about, especially at a time right now when, you know, we don't know what our short-term goals are right now. So it's kind of nice to be able to invest in something to provide such a great long-term uh, return. Right on, right on. Michelle, final words. Yeah, I think, you know, all the research and physiological findings are really important. Um, there's a lot of it out there, plenty to read, a lot that I understand, a lot that I will continue to question. But I think right now, um, the best thing we can all do is just kind of do what feels good and what feels right. Mm -hmm. just don't overdo it. Um, because nobody has a timeline. Nobody knows when they're going to be back to the starting line. Uh, if you don't run one day, it's not going to probably matter. If you go a little bit longer one day, uh, you know, I think as long as people aren't in that peak phase of anything that mm -hmm. um, the research is there, there'll be more of it, but just kind of getting out there and doing your thing and staying fit, um, you know, is probably going to benefit us all the most when we come out the other side of the pandemic. So. Yeah. You bring up a great point that it, um, in a time right now when maybe anxiety is a little higher than usual, 
you know, the easy run in kennels provide the biggest stress relief, right? Mm-hmm. You know, as opposed to like the lung busting workouts, as George so eloquently called it, where you're having to kind of trying to hit a workout or a rep within a second, right? You know, like, all right, I want to hit this 400 at exactly, you know, 75 or 76. Easy running, yeah, I could run for 40 minutes, an hour, hour 20. You, know, you can play it by ear much more so than some of the quicker, more specific training. Maybe Absolutely. just a more simple way to say it is during this time and the next several weeks, don't overthink it. <laughs> exactly. Absolutely. Just run easy. <laughs> Absolutely. Run easy, but, but, but put, a, put, put a couple little punches in there. <laughs> do a virtual race. So, Not me, but <laughs> so, Michelle, do you say you're going to do a virtual race? Cool. You're going to set it up where other people can run with you. Fantastic. The most pleasant exhaustion virtual race hosted by Michelle Frank. Brought to you by SlayRx ITO Coaching Performance and Blue Pineapple Travel. You heard it here first, folks. Thanks for joining us, Michelle and Patrick. Thanks for joining us, everybody. We'll see you next time on the Most Pleasant Exhaustion Podcast. That'll do it for another edition of the Most Pleasant Exhaustion Podcast. Brought to you by ITO Coaching and Performance, Blue Pineapple Travel, and SlayRx. Don't forget to reach out to us on Facebook, facebook.com slash pleasantpodcast. Reach out to us on Twitter, at Pleasant Podcast. We're on Instagram now, at Most Pleasant Exhaustion. And you can download us on Stitcher, on SoundCloud, on Apple Podcasts, or on Spotify. Don't forget to reach out to our sponsors as well. ITL Coaching and Performance can be found at itlcoaching.com, at itlcoaching on Twitter, facebook.com slash performance, and on Instagram, itlcoaching. Blue Pineapple Travel can be found at bluepineappletravel.com, at facebook.com slash bluepineappletravel or on Instagram, bluepineappletravel. And SlayRx can be found at slayrx.com, at facebook.com slash here for slayrx. That's the number four, here for slayrx. On Twitter, at official slayrx. And on Instagram, here for slayrx. Don't forget to use the pleasant 2019 discount code for 10% off anything at their website. On behalf of Michelle Frank and Patrick Ollinger, this is George Darden. We appreciate your listening to the Most Pleasant Exhaustion Podcast.